Greetings and salutations, folks, and welcome to another conversation on movies. My name is Nick Raker. I'm joined by Alistair Rivas. Hello, you found me. It's me, Alistair. Here I am. I'm here. You, Alistair, it's definitely the only one worth noting in this conversation about our feature film of the day, Wonder Woman 1984. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wonder Woman 1984. Wow. Looks great. It looks great. <laughs> it was fun. There was a lot of action. Yeah, I would also agree. It was fun. But before we get to our general thoughts, uh, let us uh, provide a little bit of summary on the movie itself, whether you somehow have missed all of the marketing up until this point. Wonder Woman 1984 tells the story of Diana Prince. Uh, 60 years after uh, Wonder Woman, just in which uh, she is just living her life in the 80s. She's got some fancy condo. She's got some job at a museum. Some fun clothes. Some fun clothes. Great outfits for Gal Gadot all around. Mm -hmm. And Kirsten Wig. Although Kirsten Wig, there is actually something very specific about her initial outfit I'd like to talk about later, um, which relates to the movie Catwoman. Uh, uh, a stone has appeared. A stone that is capable of granting wishes that kind of turns the plot of this movie into the Wishmaster or the Monkey Paw or that uh, Simpsons episode, that Treehouse of Horror episode, also with the Monkey Paw, in which uh, a series of wishes manifests chaos all around. Alistair, what did you think of Wonder Woman 1984? Well, I thought it was really fun. Um, first of all, the colors hit you straight out the gate. Bam. Very much so. Very bold, colorful movie. Yeah, the movie starts off in this great action sequence that's in the mall. And we just had a huge 1980s kind of resurgence with Stranger Things and stuff. And this kind of takes us back there. And yeah, Wonder Woman is kind of this, uh, she swings in and there's all this fighting and she's great and everybody loves her, but nobody really knows who she is. She's this like, oh, vigilante. And then... Uh, we meet the Diana Prince character, the side of her, and she's like an archaeological geologist. You know, the museum gives her all the money and all the best offices, and she goes to, she wears these great clothes. And then um, there's kind of like a, uh, what is it called? Like there's a curse that ends up happening, and all of a sudden we're on a really well, great romp. Like you know? Well, that's the whole trick of the Wishmaster. The Wishmaster will offer you whatever you wish for, but everything comes at a caveat. Everything comes with a price. I think I saw Wishmaster 4 back in the day, mm. which wasn't a particularly good movie, but it still kind of gets along the idea. Like, like uh, the main character wishes for like a million dollars, and then a plane crashes, and that character gets an inheritance from somebody who died on the plane. So it just makes it happen. You know, it's like, I'll grant your wish, but at a consequence. But I really felt like this movie was like a Wonder Woman episode. Like, starting off, I was like, oh, this feels like 1970s Linda Carter, kind of dun-dun-dun-dun type. It felt like a TV show. And then it felt like a TV show plot or storyline that was just extended, and there are, like, it works. Uh, Kristen Wiig is actually amazing. They even keep in some of her just background audio, just because she's so funny, and for Pedro Pascal to keep up with her, I was just like, this is great. Like, you can tell that everyone's having fun on set, and maybe Gal Gadot's a little jealous that she's not laughing along, too. I love Kristen Wiig. She's well, great. 
<laughs> in regards to that that part, uh, there is a very specific scene where Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig are eating lunch. And it starts off with them laughing, and then Gal Gadot is like, oh, you're hilarious. We, we know she's funny because the movie tells us she's funny. Uh, I, I feel as though, like, if Tarantino was directing this, we would get the whole conversation before the plot happened. We'd, we'd hear the joke. <laughs> About how she's funny. Hey, there's this girl, and we she's We wouldn't funny. just be told that she's funny. She's not just regular uh, And then, funny. oh, she's we need to... She's not ha-ha-funny. Yeah, we need, to get to the, we, need, we need to get to the plot part of this conversation. <laughs> Although I suppose the movie is already two and a half hours long. So if it is a TV episode, they definitely escalated it in both time and money. And, there, I mean, just some of the silliness in terms of, like... And it does take itself seriously at a lot of points in, like, Kristen uh, does a great job in uh, some of her acting roles, but then there's also like, okay, now you have to bring life to this line that says like, and I now I want to be a cheetah, you know, stuff like that. That's not actually in the movie, but it's like these kind of emptier kind of like TV, you know, villain lines or whatever that are just like, no person would say this, but you have to motivate it somehow. But then there's a lot of stuff that is very well motivated and you're like, okay, cool um i was kind of surprised they didn't go full on they tried to go kind of full on 1980s like hey let's stroll through the past and check out some 1980s stuff but they didn't really do it with uh what steve trevor yeah they they didn't really use the uh night like the only uh, aspects of the 1980s era that they really used was the uh look of the mall <laughs> the look of the characters yeah and the oil uh crisis uh, yeah, but no. I, I noticed somebody mentioned that there's no 80s music in, in this movie. Whoa, yeah, that's true. Um, didn't really think about that. Like, the trailer for the movie features uh, the song Blue Monday, but there's no 80s music. Like, even when uh, they're passing by the breakdancing uh, people. Yeah, in, I was like, why isn't someone moonwalking and, like, playing Michael Jackson's Beat It or something, you know? Like, that's... That would have been sick. You still have that orchestral score that's meant to kind of be like, so that Steve uh, can have that kind of wonder at the future. Yeah, uh, and I believe it was um, it was Hans Zimmer that did the score, right? With all the... Yeah, it, the orchestra really brings in the sense of wonder. And I think most punctuated by that one scene in the invisible jet. Oh, yeah. The invisible jet scene is definitely another uh, visual feast. Yeah, it looks great. But I was also kind of like, ah, are you going to fly that close to those fireworks? Because uh, you might be invisible, but one of those hits you, like, you know? I'm like, that's a plane. Yeah, that's a plane that they just grabbed out of the Smithsonian, and it's fully fueled. <laughs> and um, in perfect working order, too. And ready to be flown by someone who has not flown a plane. Like a Since highly like advanced plane. And the plane was only invented in like 1914 or whatever. When was Kitty Hawk, you know? It's like, oh yeah, I know planes. <laughs> there's there's something about this movie that I feel like you're supposed to have that uh, suspension of disbelief that comes with not necessarily modern movies, but it feels like the way the presentation of the movie is with its sense of optimism mm -hmm. makes it feel like it's closer to a Christopher Reeves Superman. Like, it's closer to Brandon Ruth's Superman. Right. Not like it's really close to, like, Man of Steel's uh, gray morality. No, and that's why I was saying, like, this feels on many levels like a TV show, like a 1970s, like, Christopher Reeves, 
Linda Carter going out, and they even mimic some of those effects in, like, there's uh, the opening scene. You you say it's the opening scene, but really the opening scene was in uh, Themyscira. Yeah, with, uh, that's right. Diana as a child. With Diana as a child. And then it cuts to 1984. And I feel as though the opening scene leads to one of my issues with the movie with both this movie and the last movie with uh, Wonder Woman, mm. because I would argue that Wonder Woman had issues with its exposition in that it spends so much time like trying to tell you about Ares and the God of War. Mm. This current opening scene, it misses the chance to really capitalize on uh, 1984's theme of power and sacrifice. In Themyscira? Like in Themyscira. In Themyscira, it feels like a, more like it could have been an opening to the first Wonder Woman, uh, in yeah. which uh, Diana wants to be this great warrior. Mm-hmm. And really, there's another story in 1984 that would have made a better opening, that being uh, the tale of uh, the other Amazon, who was given this suit of power but had to sacrifice uh, her home in order to protect everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a or, great catch. That would be, that would have been a much better tie-in. Or, like, uh, Maxwell Lord, uh, his backstory eventually shows up, and his backstory might have been a better thematic presentation of the idea of, uh, sacrifice versus the acquisition of power, as somebody who had to spend most of his life sacrificing things that he could not acquire. Yeah, absolutely. It it would make him more relatable. But I guess like, I guess at some point, and I've been thinking about this more and more, and I kind of call it the Nolanization of movies in another way. And it's about how one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. And I definitely think that cinema after 9-11 kind of took a note that was somewhere in the collective consciousness. And then once you hit like, Batman the Dark uh the Dark Knight you have a situation where it's like both sides have valid points and I think if you kind of go into that a little bit too much you might muddy the waters for what who the bad guy really is and at the end of the day this is a popcorn flick so I do understand what you're saying in terms of yes it would have actually made a better angle for like this villain to not be a villain so much as someone who was just looking to, I mean, make it, you know? Um, but well, it might be a little too But, Alistair, are you trying to tell me you have no sympathy for the devil? <laughs> um. <laughs> but, but, like, consider one of the, like, the issues with Wonder Woman Part 1. Wonder Woman sets up this idea that Ares has started all of the wars. All of the wars. And it's up to Diana to go out and defeat Ares. And it presents the idea for just a moment that maybe human beings are complicated, that maybe people are complicated, and that you can't stop all wars by just striking down a god. Mm-hmm. And then Ares shows up and there's a big boss battle. Yes, yes. But that's also kind of like what you see in uh, 1984 the idea that these characters are complicated that uh, they are not necessarily always good or always evil. Right. I think one thing that... um, Wonder Woman was actually very... uh, 1984 was actually very ambitious in the sense that, like, it 
does take this kind of morality stand um, in the way that it is kind of showing you all sides, uh, and yet Diana is so uncompromising. And actually, that's kind of what makes the whole Steve Trevor line kind of so great is because it's the one place where she does compromise, which at the end of the day, you know, she can't do. She's the superhero. She has to rise above that. Yeah, she can't just spend her days pining for him. Oh, damn. Oh. That was really great. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, and then it it goes and it kind of presents this idea that... um, this evil is working within a system, you know? It's not just, like, he's absolute evil, I guess, although he does kind of eventually get there. It's, yeah, he's he's not all bad at, at first. He kind of is pushed to that point through, I mean, his own personal failings and motivations, but also through kind of what how he wants to fit into society, you know, what society expects of him or what he expects society expects of him him although i think this is another this is why uh there's a certain aspect of the themiscara scene that it shows a little bit of and it would have benefited for more of it like the idea that one uh diana uh cheated her way through the race because like the race itself was just like a whole bunch of bs that she has (laughs) to go through it's like this big old triathlon across the island and it's not entirely clear what people have to do until they actually do it. Well, tell and that then to you're like, Olympians. But, what, <laughs> but like, what is like, what is the importance of like, what happens if they missed a target? Would they still? Would they just lose the race automatically? No, they would just be the uh, worst athlete. <laughs> These are the top this, athletes uh, of Themyscira, man. They're not missing those arrows because they're good. <laughs> but you look at like uh, these uh, characters, Maxwell Lord and Barbara. Uh, whatever her last name is, uh, Minerva. Yes, Minerva. Both of them have similar storylines in that they want to see themselves as more successful people, but they do not or are not able to figure out how to improve themselves. They're okay with uh, taking shortcuts. Without cheating. They're okay with taking shortcuts. My comparison that I was making earlier to for Barbara being like a comparison to Halle Berry's Catwoman, like, there is a specific thing that uh, filmmakers can do to make attractive actresses nerdy. And oh yeah, I hated. Yeah, that, I know what you're gonna say. I was and like, that really? is just throw on some loose clothing, like loose fitting sweaters, uh, make them clumsy. Mm-hmm. Pony side, and ponytail then sud- on the side. And then suddenly, oh, like this person's not very confident. I mean, you, you need can big tell old glasses. Not confident because of how loose their clothes are and how big their glasses are. Look how big your glasses are, you silly girl. Even though, look at how cool and shiny and pink they are. What is that aluminum? That's amazing. They look great. How do you she know that? Great. I mean, how do you know that she gains confidence because <laughs> she doesn't need glasses to see anymore? Right. Exactly. And I think um, not another teen movie just showed it the best where it's like oh you, you know this just slow motion ponytail hair pull and the taking off of the glasses and yeah all of a sudden they're hot Chris, Kristen Woody had a rocking body in this so good for her um she was doing some cool stuff and that's the thing like if she just even without having made any wishes if she just swapped out her sweater 
for the dress that she ends up getting, like she would still fit in that dress. But but it's not exactly, and that's the thing, uh, something that I think the movie misses out a little bit on, is that she doesn't necessarily, like, it's not necessarily her physical transformation that's as important as her own psychological transformation. Yeah, and she actually wasn't, she seemed pretty cool. Um, she was making jokes, and she was very smart. Uh, she knew what she was talking about. I think it really seemed like the outside world was the one that wasn't, like, accepting of her. Um was she clumsy? I can't really remember. She uh, wears heels for no particularly good reason. She says she never wears heels, and then just that day she decides to wear fe- wear heels and is like, "Oh dear, this is awful." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she puts on those huge, like three and a half inch heels. And I wonder if that was really her. I was looking for some rotoscoping around the face or something, you know, to be like. Is that like a model wearing them and they put her face on there? But I think that was her. Yeah, she did all her own stunts. (laughs) She became a cheetah for this movie. Oh, speaking of all her own stunts. It's not even CG. There was a section, unfortunately, that I did notice a lot of editing around one of her fight scenes. And I was like, ooh, that's too bad. Um, But in the, there was this... Where's the fight scene? Somewhere in D.C. I think it's outside the president's. Uh, so in the White House, maybe, where Wonder Woman and Barbara Minerva are fighting. And yeah. uh, she Minerva's looking great. I mean, she's got this great outfit on, and it makes uh, Wonder Woman look kind of silly in her super bright outfit. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, uh, you look like a cartoon character. And here's Barbara Minerva looking like a fucking badass like biker chick with all this, um, you know, like uh, cheetah print and stuff. <laughs> Are you telling me that Wonder Woman looks like a comic book character? Yeah, I was like, what's up with that? <laughs> That's the worst. All this comic book character looking uh costume but uh like i feel as though like barbara's storyline felt more complete in comparison to maxwell lord because we see her before we see her whereas like we we know more concrete versions of what she wants because we also see her get what she wants as well yeah, absolutely. Uh, Maxwell Lord, uh, yeah, it was definitely more of like, I just want power, more power, more power um, to kind of no end. He was just like, I was some, I was a liar who was in debt for this oil stuff, and then he got out of it, but there was no end in sight, really. Uh, and he was a bad dad, because he was always just like, I don't want to see my son, who he has custody every other week or something, it seems like. Speaking, speaking of uh, his son, Alistair. What? Alistair! What? Alistair! I'm right here, what? His son was terrible. Yeah, it was really annoying. Um, (laughs) There was... First of all, the kid, unfortunately, he wasn't really acting that well, I don't think. I don't think he was acting. You're assuming that he was even acting. Uh, I think they just gave him the lines, and then he just spoke the lines. And that was it. Yeah, that was really it. And I saw Pedro Pascal. He was putting a lot into into that kid in terms of, like, giving him a lot. I'm like, these are some intense takes for this kid to just be kind of standing there, you know. Um, But once again, good for Pedro Pascal. I think, especially at the end of the movie, 
Like he did a really great every everyone I think did a really great job acting in this movie. And just like I said, Pascal up against uh not really up against uh, Kristen Wiig, it's really Kristen up against him because, you know, he's 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 the Mandalorian too, like well, but at the very least with this movie with this uh like with Mando, uh you never see his face and he's very uh quiet. So like with 1984 this gives him a chance to actually yeah, like uh uh, uh project. <laughs> but did the movie really have to be as global as it was? Did we really have to move ourselves around the world in seemingly rapid fashion? Um I think it was all right. I especially think because I think she was trying to reach a global audience and also this is a blockbuster worldwide release like i don't think it's worldwide right now it's trying to be but i think it's like 46 countries or something but like uh because of its like globalism a lot of the people she fights are very meaningless to the uh, villains she fights these like random guards in uh egypt who just happen to be tagging along she happens to fight some random guards in the white house who just happen to be there like none of most of the villains that she actually fights are just kind of there un- until she actually fights uh Cheetah the uh yeah the pro- the more prominent villain in the film uh so it spends all this time like moving our character trying to figure out how to move our characters across the world mm. but at the same time extending the movie in the process like yeah it does go around but could i think the it- movie have saved time I think it does for that purpose. I think it does give it the sense of like his. So I don't want to say historical accuracy, but a scope of like, you know, just what was happening at the time. There was all this stuff going on in America with oil, with um, yeah, you know. and we got that uh, when. Uh, but I guess you're right. We get but, that uh, halfway and, through the film when uh, his oil does strike rich. You know, a lot of people like, were saying how there's not enough fighting in Wonder Woman. I was like, I think there was a good amount of fighting. Maybe not huge action scenes. Um, they kind of figured out their way to do the big blue portal in the sky um, thing. Um, <laughs> which I was like, I mean, the movie has you kind of give up. Suspend, suspend your disbelief a lot of times. Like, that's one of the things. The yeah. in, I mean, the invisible airplane, you're like, sure, whatever. I wanted to see it, so I'll take the, I'll take that. Um, there's uh, the kind of colorfulness of it. There's just like, and then at the end, there's, you know, the big blue light in the sky, and you're just like, I don't know this guy the max lord has to touch people in order to grant their wishes and they kind of come up with a pretty crazy workaround as to how he's doing that it's like electrons are bouncing off of blah 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 you're like okay yeah uh I it guess. escalates itself well <laughs> enough while still kind of making sense with that suspension of disbelief you're just um, like okay mr bond i guess um, you're ready to die now <laughs> To wrap up this discussion, though, what would, would you have any final thoughts in regards to Wonder Woman 1984? Would you recommend this movie? And who to? So for my final thoughts, um, yes, I would recommend Wonder Woman. I think it's the movie of the season. A movie hasn't come out in such a long time. And I mean, this is totally worth it. This is a theatrical release. Would I get HBO Max for it? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, borrow your friends. Um, but it was a fun movie. Um, 
It was cool. There was a lot of, it was just a lot of fun. I mean, it is kind of a TV show in that regard. So you're going to run into some uh, wacky antics, but that's just, you know, it's relaxing. It was a Christmas movie. I enjoyed it. And I would say, yeah, take a watch. What about you, Nick? What do you, did you think of Wonder Woman? I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I don't necessarily think it used its setting very well. Um, I don't necessarily think it really uh, established everybody's motivations quite as well as it could have. It's still well-paced, especially towards Kristen Wiig's character. Like, just watching it for Kristen Wiig alone is probably what I might recommend it for. But otherwise, it was a fun movie. If I had to give it a rating, I'd probably give it like a two and a half out of four stars. Uh, but that still makes Damn. it better than most DC movies. So yeah, they're hitting pretty good on the whole. D- it seems like uh, Wonder Woman and Aquaman, uh, man, are really their <laughs> their lifeblood right now. <laughs> yeah, we've still got high hopes for the Suicide Squad. Oh gosh, that's right, uh, James Gunn. Um, one thing I didn't say, I also really liked uh, Kristen Wiig's. Um, performance but not just that is it cheetah cheetah it's cheetah right cheetah's outfits i thought her attitude was cool and at the end because i remember in the trailer they were like oh the first look at cheetah and she's just a cgi blur but in the movie it it really worked out i, I kind of like the way they did it um maybe more color though it, because the fight is kind of like goes back to this Zack snyder gray and I was like, oh, come on. Yeah, you have a CG fight at night, so. And she's gray. There's, she's like this kind of like grayish brown up against some gray rocks and like a dark. And you're just like, all right. But yes, watch it. It's still cool. It's still cool. And they've already announced a Wonder Woman 3 from Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. So it's going to be. You'll uh... have something to look forward to after it's done. So yeah, Wonder Woman 1984. Fun movie. Maybe not as great as it could have been, but still definitely better than most DCs of the DC antics. In the meantime, though, that was another conversation on movies. Yay. And uh, this is probably reaching you after Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2021. See you in 2021. Bye. Bye. You can't see, but I'm waving. Bye.